How are we doing today? Good. Excellent. You're here. Happy long weekend. I hope that uh, you've had a nice long weekend. And uh, these long weekends tend to be a time we hopefully get to spend with uh, family and friends. And uh, I hope that you have a sense when that you come to King Street that uh, this is family. And uh, the people that are here are friends and that you're making some good connections. And uh, we'll continue to uh, work to help you with that. And uh, as we uh, are here in each week, and I want to support you the best we can. We're going to continue our series today that we've been doing all this summer, Invited, A New Way of Living. And this has been our study of Colossians that we've been working through. Pastor Dave uh, kicked us off, and then uh, Pastor Gary and I have been uh, flip-flopping each week for the past few weeks. And next week, Pastor Dave is going to be here. You won't want to miss it because he, he the portion of uh, Colossians that he's going to be talking on is our passage to ponder. Um, but he mentioned it one of the weeks that it's one of his favorite uh, passages. And so whenever you sort of get to talk about your favorite passage, uh, you get pretty excited and there'll be some good stuff. So you don't want to miss uh, next week if you're able uh, to get here for that. Uh, our passage upon her, as I mentioned, is Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 1 to 4. So let me read it for you this morning as we have been doing each week. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, today, as we continue our series, we're going to be talking about how we are invited to the rule of Christ, not the rules of people. Uh, I'm going to do a quick poll uh, here this morning. How many of you are, uh, you like rules or you are a rule follower? Go ahead and put your hand up. All right. How many of you, you'd prefer not to follow the rules, uh, you know, sort of figure it out as you go, but, you know, rules are sort of like, no thanks. I want to do this on my own. Put your hand up nice and high. Yep, that's good. All right. Some of you who didn't answer, you're still thinking about what should the best answer be depending upon who's watching me today, right? I'm glad you're here. Well, our family, uh, growing up, we are sort of uh, card and board game players in our house. And so when I was growing up, we would play Monopoly and Sorry, the game of life, uh, the game of Rook. I learned it when I met Sonia and her family, and we used to sit around and still uh, great times doing that. Uh, but as our kids got older, we advanced a little bit in our game playing to strategy games like Settlers of Catan and uh, Ticket to Ride and The Crew and Seven Wonders. And uh, we, uh, uh, my son just moved not too long ago to St. Catharines. He's going to be going to school there in the fall. And, and uh, my daughter lives in Welland, so they're in the Niagara region. And so the two of them and us have been uh, sort of make, started a habit of going to this games cafe uh, in St. Catharines where you go and you sit for, and we sat like four or five hours the other night uh, eating and just playing games. We had a great time. They have like 620 plus games at this games cafe. So it was sort of like, let's do that and have fun with it. And we love to learn new games, but with every new game comes a new set of rules. Now, for those of you who are gamers and like to play, do you like to play by the rules or do you like to sort of uh, make up the rules as you go, right? And it's funny, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've played games and you play them with different people and they go, why are you playing it that way? Those aren't the rules. And then somebody gets out the rules and they actually read the rules and uh, my friend Jared is one of those people, if you play games with Jared, you, he sits and he reads the rules and he likes to know and he'll go, that's not the way you play it. These are the rules. 
And I don't know how many times that's happened. And I noticed as I was thinking about this, there's this interesting cycle that happens in life. Growing up, we sort of have to follow the rules that other, everybody else gives us. You remember when you're young, you know, and you're, and eat your peas or eat your vegetables, you know, and you're like, no, I don't want to eat my vegetables, you know? And as you get older, like, okay, get up and get ready for school. You got to do these things or you got you to be at work at this time and there's these rules. But there's also this thing that as we get older, we find ourselves wanting to break free of the rules, right? That song by the band Queen that they sing, I want to be free, right? And there's this cycle. And interestingly enough, as we sort of gain authority in our lives and we become, you know, owners of different things or property, as we become parents and, or uh, supervisors at work or a coach, or even as our parents get older and we have to sort of step into the role of, of guiding them, we start making our own rules. And I think it happens because there's desire that we have for control. How many people would say you're a control freak today? All right, not too many are responding today. You're still conscious about everybody sitting around. What are they going to think if I raise my hand? We have this desire for control. So, and we end up wanting things to be done the way that we want them. And yet, without rules, chaos ensues, doesn't it? I mean, you just have to go on YouTube and watch those videos of kids left alone, you know? with nail polish or a pair of scissors, right? And they go, hey, look, mom, I cut my own hair, and they've got this strip right down the middle, right? With no rules, chaos happens. And interestingly enough, even in the church, in our history, we have been prone to be rule makers. We have been prone to be wanting to be in control, and even at times, sadly, as the church, we have taken the authority that we have too far and have done it in the name of Jesus. So where is the balance here? If rules are necessary, what rules do we follow, do I follow? And more specifically, as we're going to talk about today, what is the rule of Christ? And how am I supposed to live that out in everyday life? In our passage today, we're going to take a, a look at Paul's writing, as you know, this letter to, that's called Colossians, to the church who's in Colossae, the city. And he, as we heard last week, had just invited them to live a life free from the internal weight, internal weight of sin and of guilt. And all because of what Jesus did in his humanity for, and through his death. Because, and this is what we sing about. Because Christ came and died, he came and set us free from sin and, and self-condemnation and guilt and, and condemnation from Satan and fear and death. And that's why Paul, in another letter to the church in Rome, writes in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ or who are followers of Christ. Paul here now in this passage turns his attention to those who uh, externally were imposing rules on Christians in what they should be doing. They were judging them and inflicting false guilt and condemnation, and it seemed they were doing it for, for their own self-purposes and self-promotion. And so let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2, 
verse 16 to 23, and I'll just read it for you, and then we'll, uh, we'll work through it as we kind of talk this morning. Paul writes, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. There was lots of different rules going on here. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels or, or the worship along with angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up or proudful with their idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And he says this, they have lost connection with the head. And earlier, uh, when he talks about the head, he's talking about Christ. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, the church, is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since... You died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, and we'll come back to that. Why is, though, you still belong to this world? Do you submit to its rules? And he lists these rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And he's sort of emphasizing these. These rules which you have, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed wisdom, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul here draws this line between those living by man-made rules or those who are judging others and those who live under the rule of Christ, and he provides with that some results of those who choose to live Either way, you've seen the picture of America's Got Talent or Canada's Got Talent. And, and, and as the, those who are performing are ready to come out, the judges are in the row and they're sitting there and they're watching it. And I want you to sort of visualize that today uh, as we talk about this, because we tend to be a performance-based society. You know, we sort of, we, are, we tend to be where we look at others and say, okay, you know, at work, here's what you have to perform or there, here's what you have to produce. Right? Or we, we look around at other parents and we say, okay, you know, uh, what is a successful parent? And, and, and we, we track with each other and say, oh, if, you know, if, if you're doing this or you're doing that, you're a good parent, right? Or if your kids, you know, when they get to be adults, you know, turn out to be good people. Wow, you've done a good job with that. And, and, and that, it, it goes on and on. It's all performance-based. So with that imagery in your mind, let's walk through this passage today. And Paul says, enter the judges. Paul describes these people as fine-sounding, but they're full of false humility and super spirituality. Let me explain that. He says, such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen, and they are puffed up and idle, have idle notions. He basically says, these people who are judging you are full of pride especially about their spiritual experiences. And they had taken it so far, talking about, oh, I had this great experience. I've sang with angels before. And then they talk about all these things, and they would, were actually telling the Colossians, unless you've had these spiritual experiences, you're not really a follower of Jesus. Unless you're following these rules, you're not really a true Christian. And Paul goes after them for it. Now, the example of this is the Pharisees. 
In Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 to 20, they come to Jesus and they, they ask him this. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? All right, these man-made rules that the, that the Pharisees had, had done. See, they took the law and then they wrote all these other laws and rules up to say, okay, now, if you want to follow the Ten Commandments and the rule, the Old Testament rules, here's what you have to do. And they had a whole list of them. And so they say to Jesus, why do your, why do your disciples not follow the rules? And then, he, then they say, they don't wash their hands before they eat. Because that was one of the rules. And Jesus kind of unpacks it for them. And basically says, listen, this is simple biology. What goes into your mouth comes out. All right? Simple biology, if it goes in, it's going to come out somewhere. But he says, listen, more importantly than that, is that whatever comes out of your mouth, in words, is a reflection of your heart. And he was basically saying to the Pharisees, you judge people, you're so concerned with the external rules that you can't see your own corruption in what you're saying. Paul points out that this rule-following sort of spirit that's there is actually sourced from this elemental spiritual forces or unspiritual minds. Uh, Pastor Gary talked last week about this. He mentioned that those spiritual forces in the world, they come to us in pervading philosophies. You know, like clout, this insatiable need to be liked, or tribalism, and this us versus them mentality, or religious traditions that actually corrupt uh, our beliefs, either making it where we have to follow all the rules, or we go to the other extent where we it's cheap grace. You know, well, you know, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I can sort of live however I want. Where is that idea coming from? Jesus never said that. He said, if you want to follow me, if you're going to come after me, you deny yourself, take up your cross, or basically you're a walking dead person, and follow me. These spiritual forces are not from God. And they actually convince us if we get caught in this trap of rule following, that we know better than others. These spiritual forces are an enemy meant to deceive us. And if, if we are deceived by this, we end up feeling judged as one of the outcomes from it. That people around us, oh, I'm not following all the rules or I'm not good enough for this. And we feel this judgment that may be not even there, but we've imposed it on ourselves or it's in our mind where we're thinking, constantly feeling judged. Or we become judges, and we become judgmental of other people. And go, oh, you know, they're doing this, or they're doing that, or they're not doing this. And our spirituality becomes corrupted. How easy is this to happen? I was on social media the other day, and I saw the picture of a person on there that I know. And in the picture, it looked like they were smoking a cigar. And... And I'm not saying yes or no about smoking cigars. I mean, obviously, smoking is not good for our health, right? But you know what my initial thought was? Oh, that's too bad. How quick was it for my mind to go into judgmental mode because I saw in a picture what appeared to be something, yet I don't know for sure? See how easy it is for us to become judgmental? And sadly, there is a whole list of casualties beyond the Pharisees who have bought into this notion. 
Uh, during the 1940s, Charles Templeton and Billy Graham were the, called the dynamic duo of, for Youth for Christ. The two of them would travel and would speak, and hundreds of youth were coming to Christ and people. And Charles Templeton went through this time of a, a period of doubt and questioning the Bible and his faith, and he ended up actually walking away from God and became an agnostic, where uh, that belief where you, you believe in God, but he has no influence and no part in the world. And, and two years before he passed away, 2001, he wrote the book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Because somewhere in there, he, he began to think differently and began to, and it's okay to question things, but there was something that shifted there and he got to the place where he thought, I know better than others. I know this is it. I don't have to believe in God. And began to judge to the point where he thought, I know better. God doesn't exist or he's not interested in our lives. Well, Paul unpacks what are the, the rules of these judges. He said, basically, their rules are deceptive philosophy and human tradition. Now, I grew up in a, in a tradition where on Sundays, you didn't do anything. Uh, you didn't swim. You didn't bathe. I know, that doesn't sound very good. But Saturday night, you know, it was like, okay, take a shower, have a bath, because you can't, we don't want to ba bathe on Sunday. We had to sleep in the afternoon, you know, and that was the worst you know, because I'm in a in bunk bed with my brother, and my mom and dad, they'd be sleeping. And my dad, I don't know, he was a light sleeper or something, because we'd be in there fooling around because we're not tired, but we had to sleep on Sunday because it was the day of rest. You can see a little bitterness coming out. Sorry about that. <laughs> and I'm on the top bunk, and my brother's pushing up on the mattress, and I'm almost falling off the bed. And then all of a sudden, we'd hear dad getting up. And we could scramble and be like, oh, and I pull up the cover and pretend I'm sleeping. And every time, my dad would come in, look at my brother and do nothing, and look up at me, and then he'd go, go back to sleep. And I'm thinking, what is this? How does my brother get away with this? He's tormenting me, and I'm the one who gets caught. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> the idea of this was pure enough. The idea of to keep the Sabbath holy but at some point, it got to a place where it caused us to set up these rules that at times we would even judge each other by them. Paul adds, not only are these rules like that, there's lots of rules. There's lots and lots of rules. It's sort of like he, he, he takes it to the full extent when he says, do not handle, do not, do not taste, do not touch. He goes, where do the rules end? There's so many rules to follow here. How can you ever do enough? And then he even hints at, and I'll only do this for, uh, share this with you for a moment, he hints at this idea of extreme asceticism. This is this idea of severe self-discipline to avoid all forms of indulgence. And historically, there have been, a, this idea has spiraled into extremes where people have fasted to, to the point of causing their own health issues to complete sexual abstinence and denial of marriage because of this idea that they had to, you know, discipline severely themselves to avoid all, all chance of breaking the rules or self-imposed poverty or sleep deprivation or absolute seclusion or the monastic lifestyle, even devising means of self-torture to 
to make yourself pay because you had a wrong thought that you broke one rule. And so you inflicted pain on yourself. Sadly, it's all wrapped up in deception. And theologian Curtis Vaughn says, the ascetic rules often masqueraded as wisdom. It's foolishness. My point to this, left with only rules, at some point you and I just become overwhelmed or weary or just give up. Because how can you ever perform enough? How can you ever follow all the rules or feel like you've done enough? And this is part of the results. Sadly, some of the results from this are, Paul alludes to this briefly when he says, these are a shadow of the things that come. One of the results is a shroud of secrecy and ever-changing rules. Sadly, people who become so bound by rule following become prone to deceptive teachings and they stop using wisdom and discernment and follow rules without question. And sadly, you know, cults form like that because people are told, oh no, this is the way. You have to do this if you're going to be good enough or if you're going to be saved, you have to do these things. Extremes. Some of the other results are bondage and baggage. You know, Paul alludes to this in Galatians chapter 4, and there's a similar idea where they were being told, you know, unless you follow all the Jewish traditions, you're not a follower of Jesus. And he writes, and he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces. Do you want to be, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? See, if we give in to the idea of rule following in order to gain salvation, but also in order to maintain it, it will become a weight that we cannot bear, and our spirituality will collapse at some point because we can never perform enough. We can never do all the rules. And sadly, that results of that can come to disqualification, where ultimately it leaves us to be never, ever really discovering or experiencing what it means to have life in Christ. And we view the church as just the people who, you know, are there and just, it's all rule following. And I don't want any part of that. And we end up walking away because we miss what's really happening and Paul writes in Galatians 3.10, he talks about curses anyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, there's no way you can do it all. And he says to them, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you from obeying the truth? We disqualify ourselves. And Paul says here that those who follow the rules of people end up losing their connection with the head who's Christ. And the whole body of Christ, which is connected, he uses that picture, that imagery, that's connected to him, you disconnect from it. And let's, let's just say what it is. If you don't have a head, you're not living, right? If you're missing your head, you know, and you're, you're not going far. These people get trapped in it. There's no way you can follow the rules enough or be good enough. 
And there's always somebody, let me hear, hear this today, there's always somebody who's going to let you down or you're going to feel like they're judging you or that, you, that you've said the wrong thing or that they say the wrong thing and it affects you in some way to go, oh, they're judging me. And we inflict the rules on ourselves. I don't know about you, but no thanks. No thanks. If that's what Christianity is all about, is following rules, no thank you. So let's bypass the judges, and Christ comes in. And when Christ comes on the scene, when he enters, he brings victory through humility and submission. Uh, Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5 to 1, Let your mindset be the same as Christ, who though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp or hang on to. He limited himself to a human body and came. And through his death and submission to the Father and died on the cross, he gave us victory for all those who would believe. Victory through his humility and his submission. Salvation for us, listen to me today, is achieved through what Christ did for us. We can't do any part of it. The other part when Christ comes on the scene is a rules update. Rules update 2.0. When Jesus comes on the scene in Mark chapter 12, you know, they, they, they come to him and say, Jesus, which of the, all the commandments is the most important? And they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to, okay, if he says this one, then we can go, well, no, that's not true, because why isn't this one true? And Jesus tw- turns this around, and he says to them, listen, the most important commandment is this. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what Jesus just did there? He took all of the rules, all the commandments, and he just simplified them. And he tur- and said, okay, here's, here's the summary. Love God and love people. And while you're at it, serve the world. It's funny, I've heard that before. I don't know if that's our mission or not. He simplified it. And not only that, he turns the rules internally. So there's not this, you know, set of external rules that we go, okay, check, check, check. I've followed all the rules, check. There's this internal rule following that happens. Where, listen to this, I'm going to unpack this a little more in a minute. We're each of us in community, all right? As the Spirit of God is at work in us and at work in the people around us, we help each other to discover and to live out the rule of Christ. And the picture of that is in the book of Acts. As you read it, the first church, they were doing life together and the Spirit was directing them and they were helping each other to work out what it means to live under the rule of Christ by encouragement, not judgment, but encouraging and challenging and helping each other. Well, what are these new rules that that Christ brings along? These uh, rules update 2.0. Well, one is forgiveness and freedom through death. Earlier in this chapter, when Paul was writing, he writes, you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, having disarmed the powers and authorities, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. See, now our salvation is received by our humility 
and our submission to the Father's will. We can't achieve it. Think about that. This is this whole idea. We can't do enough. We can't follow enough rules. We can't achieve our own salvation. So what our job is to, is simply to receive that salvation through humility and submission. It's about giving up control and submitting to Christ's rule over me. It's no longer about being good enough, as the rules say. It's now about surrendering enough about handing over the parts of my life, of asking myself, are there any areas in my life that I have yet to give Christ control over? Lord, help me with my driving habits. Am I under the rule of Christ when I drive? Lord, help me with the way that I, I, I look after the money that you've provided and the resources and the let me come under your rule. How do you want me to use these resources and this money? God, help me to be a husband and a parent and a brother and a sister and a son to who, those people in my family. Help me to come under your rule. What does Jesus say when he's in the garden? Not my will, but yours be done. That's that idea of forgiveness and freedom through our death. We die to ourselves. The other rule that comes this, this new rule is purpose and growth through Christ's rulership. See, when, when Paul says those people who live under the rules have, have lost their connection with the head, and he describes, he paints this picture of the whole body, saying it's connected, you know, and held together by ligaments and sinews. And then he says it grows as God causes it to grow. You know, Christ basically, who's the head, becomes the source of the purpose for our life. You know, if you're trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? You know, what's God's purpose for me? Why was I put on this earth? Why am I here? The start to figuring that out, discovering it, is through God, because he made you. You know, I love tools. I have this t-shirt that uh, Sonia made for me and forced me to wear. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't force me to wear. But it says, I love my wife in big print. But if you read, read the small print, it says, I love that my wife lets me buy power tools. All right? And, and I love tools. But tools have a specific purpose, right? And I can take, you know, and I've done this, you know, I'll take a pair of pliers and I'll use them as a hammer sometimes, you know, because I don't have a hammer handy. I realize when I'm doing it, I'm not using it for its purpose and likely I'm going to wreck it because it's not being used properly. But when you buy a tool, you read, oh, God forbid, the instructions, you know, because you want to figure out how to use it because the manufacturer built it for a specific reason. And God created us so if we want to discover our purpose, he's the starting point. And he's not playing this game of hide and seek or, you know, uh, uh, hide behind the curtain. What's behind door number one? If you pick the right door, wow, you discovered your purpose. All right, if you pick the wrong door, ah, too bad for you. You're going to have to do, figure it out and, and you don't have purpose. No. If we seek him, we discover him. He also gives us the power and produces growth in us. And he leads us. So our job is simply to let him be the head and us to be the body to let him direct our lives. Like that song says, Jesus, take the 
real, right. I won't sing it for you. You don't want to hear my version of it. I like what theologian Jerry L. Sumney says. The body's growth depends on its firm connection to its head, right? It's a no-brainer. A clear enough physiological fact, even if the readers, because he's referring to this passage, never needed it spelled out for them in this analogy. Christ supplies the life and growth that the church possesses. You know, when Jesus talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches, the imagery there is similar imagery. We have to stay connected to Christ to discover our purpose and our growth. He has to be the head. Because anything with two heads is a monster, right? Yeah. He has to be the head. The other part that's a rule for this is community and support through his church. When he writes to the uh, Ephesians in Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 14, he's talking about these gifts of, uh, of leaders that, are, that God has provided for the church, but then he unpacks it and says, if those leaders are equipping everybody else to do their, to discover their, their task in the church and everybody is working together like a well-oiled machine or a body, he describes it this way, then no, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Remember, it's about each of us. This is, this is how the rule of Christ works. It's about each of us as a community and with the Spirit's help, helping us discover and to live out the rule of Christ. As I was writing this talk for today, I received a, test, a text message from, from somebody from the church that was the benediction that we, uh, a good word that we do at the end of each gathering, and you'll hear it a little bit later, later, but it's pretty much, may God bless you and keep you, may his face shine upon you, and it continues. And I mess it up every time, so I, I have a hard time remembering it. But it was this blessing. This person didn't know that I was in the midst of writing this exact point at this moment, and they sent this text to me. And you know what it does? It reminds me that, that this all works that the Spirit at work in this person's life prompted them to send a text to me to just to say, I'm encouraging you. And because they sent that text, the Lord said, you're on the right track here. This this morning, as I was reading over my notes again, and I got to the same part, Pastor Dave, who's on vacation, he doesn't have to text me when he's on vacation, but he sends me a note and says, Al, just on my walk today, I'm praying for you this morning as you talk and share with, with the church. And again, it's this reminder that in community, as the Spirit is at work in all of us and through all of us, we grow together. And we don't have all the answers, but collectively we come and we work through these things in life and we discover, we try to discover what it means to fall under the rule of Christ. And we sit and have conversations about life situations and we try to encourage each other or just talk it through. 
You know, I've shared with different people about, you know, uh, the struggle with, with my son Quentin and, and his desire not to follow Christ and, and the estrangement that we have in our relationship. And I won't unpack all of that. But, it, you know, as a parent, you're trying to figure out, what, what do I do? And I've had some conversations with people where you just sort of talk about it. And they didn't come up with any great answers for me because I'm not sure what the answers are either. But the fact that I could actually talk with them and share about those things, and I know that they're praying for me, that's what this looks like. Where we talk through stuff, we're learning together and discovering how to do life under the rule of Christ, how to act, how to pray. And it's a bit of a thing, learn as you go here. And the people who are of every generation we need, because the older generation who've been down the path before, you know, have been through some of the things that we've gone through, and they come along and say, yeah, it's going to be okay. We don't know what the answer is, but it's going to be okay. Or I've been down that road before. I, I know how you're feeling right now. And the younger generation that comes along, you know, when we get a little tired and a little weary, and we start thinking, oh, you know, God, what, is it, what do you have for me to do? And and, and, and I don't know, I'm sort of feeling tired. And they come along with energy and they come along with passion and they come along with some new ideas and that we can go, you know what? This is great. You know, I, Sonny and I get the privilege to, to help with our young adult, the young adult ministry here just as volunteers. You know what? I think it does more for me because it gives me an opportunity to be around, you know, younger people and some who are the same age as my kids, but my kids aren't with us. They're, they're living in other places. And I get to have relationship. And, it, and I hear the things they talk about and the passion that they have. And I think to myself, gosh, when I was your age, I was nowhere near where you are today. <laughs> I was still trying to figure out life. I was still maturing. And it's encouraging. I love what N.T. Wright says. It's no shame when a Christian finds that he or she cannot grow spiritually without support and help from other believers. Did you hear me? It is rather a surprise that anyone should have thought such a thing possible, let alone desirable. We were never meant to do this alone. We're supposed to be in community. Well, the results of the rule of Christ is a new reality and a clarity. As Paul says here, he says, you know, those were shadows of things that were not to come. The, my reality, he says, the reality is found in Christ. And then he, he, you know, in the passage to ponder, he says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, which is where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above. And it reminds us that there's clarity in the rule of Christ. There's not this shroud of secrecy or these constant, you know, rules that are ever-changing. And you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I follow Christ or live under his rule? And he goes, oh, I changed the rules, actually. Don't you hate it when you play a game? You know, and, you, and you're playing it one way and you go to somebody's house and they go, actually, this is our rules at our house. And you're like, what? I don't like your rules. I got to play it because I want to be your friend. No, I'm kidding. You don't say that. But you know what I mean? We hate it when the rules change. There's this, you know, we in Christ, in his rule, we have this reality and clarity that life in Christ is my reality. If you get nothing else, get this. You know what life in Christ is like? I'm dead. The longer I, the sooner I can figure out that it's I'm dead and he's in charge and I can walk that out 
man, you're way down the road because that's a hard one in itself, right? Because our, our self, our old nature keeps coming back, doesn't it? Or am I the only one? Of course it does. But if we can figure out this reality, I'm dead. Christ is in charge. And then there's that the clarity of it is it's simplistic living. It's no longer about trying to follow all the rules. It's about love God, love people, serve the world. And as I'm loving God and the Spirit is at work in me, He's guiding me. He's setting up roadblocks to keep me from going off course. And even when I do, he graciously guides me back or brings people into my life and sometimes painful circumstances to get my attention because God is not interested in me being happy, right? He is interested in me following the path he has for me because he has the destination in mind. If I follow the happy road, I'm not getting to where he is and the destination he has for me. But when I'm following him, he will direct me to what he has in store for me. It's simple living. And then there's great clarity with this. I just keep my heart and my mind set on eternal purposes. Now, let's be honest. You know, my daughter uh, called me on Friday. We were actually on our way to our house to visit her. And uh, we had plans to do a bunch of other things. She called me and said, I got bad news. My car just died. The, the mechanic said the, bo- the frame's rusted out. He said, you can't drive it, it's done. So we have to go car shopping, right? Uh, we we got to put this, you know, we got to figure this out. And she's in, you know, a bit of a panic. And I'm thinking, okay, human nature, when those things happen, our initial response to it is that, right? When things go bad in life, we're going, oh, man, what's going to happen? We, I don't know what to do. And we feel so overwhelmed at the moment. And then we have to sort of talk to ourselves, okay? It's okay to talk to yourself, all right? We have to sort of talk to ourselves and go, okay, what is the most important thing here? What is the eternal perspective that I need to have on this situation? And that was that. These things happen. Cars die. But we just said, Sonia said to her, listen, uh, Summer, just pray. And we're going to go look for a car tomorrow, right? And you know, if you're trying to buy a car these days, it's not the easiest thing to find, right? And especially at the price you want to get. That's a long story. I won't go into it. And we go, okay, we're just going to pray. And, and we, we set up a couple appointments yesterday, and I was just praying as we were driving on the way. I said, God, just help us to find something. Because it's sort of, you know, she needs a car, and it's a short window, and she's, you know, two hours away from us, and, and she hasn't purchased, you know, a car on her own before. Anyways, you see where my mind's going. The eternal purpose. I just prayed. And God directed us yesterday to help find her a vehicle. My point is that, and it doesn't always turn out that way. But my point is, initially, we freak out. But we have to come back to an eternal perspective. Keep our hearts and our minds set on Christ. Keep clarity. Don't get caught up in the chaos of life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And the other result of this is victory. Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Paul writes. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. 
You and I, if we are followers of Jesus, we're his kids. He's chosen us. And now I get to live in the freedom of the rule of Christ. And the best way I can describe it is in farm analogy. And I apologize if this doesn't relate to you. The fences at a farm are put up for a purpose. They're not just because, well, you know, uh, this is the property line kind of thing. They're there for the animals. And as they wander around within the fence, and it's always, you know, that saying, the grass looks greener on the other side, right? The animals want to get through the fence because it looks better over there. But the fences are there actually to protect them, to keep them so they're not eating things they're not supposed to eat that's going to make them sick or wild animals that are going to come and, and kill them. It's set up as a barrier there to help them. And they have such freedom in that barrier to eat, you know, and to eat more. And I like that idea. I like eating, right? But they have so much freedom in that and their safety. The rule of Christ is meant to be like that in our lives. That if we will follow his path he has for us, you know, there's barriers there, but they're there for a reason. To protect us. To keep us from harming ourselves or doing things that are going to harm the people around us or put us on a destructive path. Or as, we, as Pastor Gary talked about, doing things in our life that we have to live with the regret that we've done with for years to come and we wrestle with that. He creates the rule of Christ and says, you live within this? Gosh, I can bless you. I can help you. I will guide you. It'll be life to abundantly, life to the fullest. See, following Christ is not just looking for, hopeful for eternal life one day. We're looking forward to that. It's have, being able to live life to the fullest in this life, no matter what happens, knowing that he's with us. Curtis Vaughn says this, Christianity is not a religion of prescriptions, but of living relationship with Jesus Christ. This, of course, does not mean that once we are in Christ, everything is permissible. Rather, it means that the controls of the Christian life spring from within. Indwelt by the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit, thus avoiding Avoid carrying out the desires of our lower nature. And Christ helps us, the Spirit at work helps us to live within the rule of Christ, which is life to the fullest. You may be here today, and as I'm talking with you today, you're going, wow, that sounds interesting. Changes my perspective on the church a little bit. I want to encourage you today, if you haven't stepped into what it means to follow Christ, you're on the edges of faith, you're wondering about what the rule of Christ is like, I would encourage you, you know, to, to kind of step through the fence today. Maybe jump over the fence. Maybe go, you know what? If that's what the rule of Christ is like, if that's what it means to follow Christ, maybe that is what I need and that thought that you're having today that maybe that's for you, that's not just from you. God is actually working in your life today because he wants so much to be not only in relationship with you, to be a part of every part of your life. And you're not here today by accident. And this talk didn't happen just by chance. It's God at work in you because he wants to be at work 
not only in your life, but through your life so you can experience him. I would encourage you, hop over the fence today. It's not bad on the other side. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you today that you are with us. God, thank you for the rule of Christ and the freedom that we have in that because of what you've done for us. God, would you help us to not be judges, to not be uh, trapped in that lifestyle of rule following? What, that it may even sound fine to us, but in reality, there's, there's something underneath it that's so corrupt, so uh, from the enemy that tries to deceive us and pull us away from what it means to have true life in relationship with you. God, would you forgive us for being judgmental? God, when those thoughts come to our mind, would you convict us, Lord, and, 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 and speak to us about being gracious people and not being quick to judge? Lord, Lord, help us to be people of grace and compassion. God, I pray for anyone here today who feels trapped by rules or feels judged by others, and that has co- they feel condemned by that. They feel like they're never going to be good enough for you. God, that they can never get to you. God, I pray that, Lord, you would break that thought process in their mind even today, that they would realize that that is not your view of them. You love them. You came for them. And you want to have relationship with them. You are not, you didn't come to judge us. You came to give us life and life to the fullest. God, I pray that you would set people free from judgmentalism in their lives today and help us, God, really to become more like you, to love you, to love people, to serve the world. Give us such clarity of our lives. Give us such eternal perspective. Help us, Lord, in the midst of our situations when they seem overwhelming and and things happen that are out of our control and we feel like things are falling apart or not where they should be. God, point us back to you. God, guide us. Surround us with the people in our lives that we need to speak wisdom into our lives to help us. God, may we not be individuals who, who choose to walk following you by ourselves. May we recognize the value, in fact, the, the significant importance of the church that you called us to live in community and to help each other along the way. And God, I pray most importantly that you would help us to live in victory. God, help us to live in victory, God. And that God, because of that, our lives would reflect you everywhere we go. Our lives as we sang about would speak Jesus into every situation, not always by our words, but always by our actions. And that you would do your work in us as we live under the rule of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Alicia, would you come here?